G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby, checking in on the the latest in what we'd call a political agenda, what Christians need to know. Martin Isles, Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Martin, welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Good to be back. Hey, Martin, let's start with this, which is quite significant uh, in Victoria, the idea of removing prayer from the Victorian Parliament. And once again, Fiona Patton is attempting to remove the Lord's Prayer from the Victorian Parliament. What's developing in Victoria? Yes, look, it's another day. It's another set of antics from Fiona Patton. She's never a stranger to these sorts of things uh, and has a pretty overtly anti-Christian and generally anti-religious agenda. But uh, she is trying again to have a motion passed in the Victorian Upper House to remove the Lord's Prayer or uh, daily prayers from the Parliament, which occur every morning uh, and have done so since, uh, I think it's 1918 or something around that. Um, But she's going to do that on August the 4th. And that is a tradition which is upheld still in all of Australia's parliaments. And people are often surprised to hear that. uh, And uh, Christians are often pleased to hear that. And it's a good thing for two reasons. First of all, um, we know as Christians that people who are in authority and have power it's really important for them to know that they also are under authority. Uh, It's important for them to acknowledge God uh, and to know that their power is not all the power that exists and that there's somebody over them. So it's a very, very good tradition just from a governance point of view, a tradition point of view. But also the thing that I really am always um, happy about is to know that every morning across the country, including in the federal parliament, there's quite a lot of members of parliament who volunteer voluntarily attend morning prayers in the chamber and they will make time in their schedule to go down to the chamber and to sit in there, say prayers and then get on with their day. Now, I think that's a fantastic thing. Not everyone does that, obviously, but there's a number that do and it's really, really a good practice and I think to get rid of that would be a terrible thing as we all know, and uh, the aim here is to stop that motion from passing. And uh, we've just heard about this, so we will be creating um, uh, a campaign on our website at acl.org.au for everyone in Victoria to ensure this good tradition continues. Oftentimes it's the speaker who says the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes they rattle through it, but there's something special in there, Martin, It brings the affairs of the state, brings the affairs of the nation under the view of God and a very important thing. Hey, let's go through it. There's a bunch of issues to cover. Uh, Let's touch on what's happening with euthanasia. Uh, Of course, uh, in Queensland, uh, there's the possibility of a vote on euthanasia coming. There's also uh, talk of euthanasia in New South Wales, but uh, your Queensland State Director has been presenting to a euthanasia committee in Queensland. That's right, Neil. 
uh, so moving up north to the sunny state of Queensland now, uh, the situation there is, and you and I have talked often about the problems with legalising suicide in this way. I mean, uh, it's not good to say that doctors can kill people and call that medicine and people can opt to kill themselves and that's going to be okay in any society. It never ends well. We know that. We've talked about that. Um, but the trouble is that every time a state in Australia wants to go down this path, it seems like they go a little bit further. They up the ante, they make the bill a little bit worse. And Queensland certainly is offering the worst bill that we've seen so far. Wendy Francis, our Queensland State Director, did go and present at the committee. And the things she highlighted in the bill were, first of all, there's no conscientious objection rights for uh, medical uh, institutions. So hospitals and, uh, and, and, and places like that have to provide euthanasia on their premises. They cannot say no. And, and no Christian, no sincerely Christian medical facility is going to be comfortable with that. Uh, and, that is, and it is an act which is wrong. You can't let people commit suicide as a Christian. Um, also, the lack of protection for the mentally unwell. This is the first bill that allows people with psychiatric conditions to access euthanasia which is quite astounding. We used to have lifeline, you know, suicide helplines. Now, if you're mentally uh, depressed and so forth, you can start to consider euthanasia under certain conditions. Uh, and there's no protection for them in the sense that you don't need to actually get uh, a psychologist involved. You don't actually need to get any mental assessment of that person. Um, also, we've got a situation where, unbelievably, if somebody is going down the uh, avenue of assisted suicide and you try and talk them out of it, there are seven, up to seven-year jail terms for people who try and talk someone out of getting assisted suicide when they've decided to do so. Uh, so if you try and save a life, uh, you're in big trouble. And I can scarcely believe that that's actually in the bill, but it, but it is. Um, and also, this is the first time we have a bill that allows doctors and health professionals to initiate the discussion about euthanasia, to actually say to a patient, I'll have you considered killing yourself. Uh, they're allowed to do that under the Queensland law. And that's never happened so far in the various laws that have been proposed in Australia. So it is a deeply flawed bill, and um, it's something that really will not lead to any kind of justice in the healthcare community. Um, and uh, the coalition's own inquiry actually says uh, that, that palliative care options in Queensland were not up to par end-of-life care in the medical profession, uh, in, in the medical institutions of the state, uh, are not good enough. Uh, and we say, well, they should be fixing that rather than bringing in a quick fix, euthanasia, which will lead to injustice and which will normalise suicide. So there's a far better option here. Wendy was able to say all that at the committee. And if you are in Queensland and you're concerned about the effects of this, we do actually have a campaign on our website for you to go and sign uh, at atl.org.au. So for listeners, take advantage of the opportunity, acl.org.au, find that petition that you can sign and uh, at least be part of doing something because, you know, uh, when I've mentioned this in a number of different conversations with various ones, Martin, the idea of a seven-year jail term for encouraging someone to... Uh, to choose to extend their life rather than end their life, uh, people are gobsmacked. I mean, how can that be happening? But it's another instance here, it appears to be, the idea of criminalising Christian practice, uh, putting churches in a position where they'll need to break the law in order to fulfil an obligation to God to be able to point people in a direction for life. Let's continue on here. Um, let's touch on this one 
And it seems ridiculous, but there's an ongoing battle for Satanism in Noosa schools in Queensland. Uh, Satanists crying foul about their human rights being breached after being refused access to Queensland state schools to teach classes. Uh, What's happening, do you think? Well, yeah, this is true, unfortunately, Neil. And it is a little ridiculous, but it is one of these things that I'm concerned will become less ridiculous with time. That's how all campaigning and political advocacy seems to work. The first time someone says it, it's outrageous. But then they wear everybody down by saying it over and over again until it's not outrageous. People just give in. We saw that. I mean, same-sex marriage would be the ultimate example of that. But I think that this could be another example of that. There is a Noosa temple of Satan. These people are Satanists. They're also what I call you know, trolls in the sense that they're troublemakers. Uh, and they're always trying to make trouble, particularly around religious freedom. If we, as the ACL, for example, say, look, we need freedom of religion, they'll say, yeah, we need freedom of religion. Satanists want to be free too. And they're doing that on purpose to just muddy the waters and the media love them because they you know, undermine the cause and all the rest of it. But of course, what they seem not to realise is that as the ACL, we're very happy to say that not all religions are equal <laughs> and that Satanism certainly is not an example of a religion uh, which is healthy and good for the community and should be in schools, for example. But they actually also applied to teach religious instruction in schools as a denomination to teach about the devil. Uh, And the founder here actually says that he wants to teach young people about the devil. Um, And the Department of Education said, you can't do that, sorry. And he has now gone and filed uh, an application in the Queensland Supreme Court to have that decision overturned to allow Satanism into schools. And again, it's a bit of a trolling exercise. It's a troublemaking exercise to undermine religion in schools. But at the same time, it's a very interesting situation because whilst the education department has said no, there's a real chance here that the legal system might be forced to say yes. Um, And I I just see that and I think, yeah, we're in a situation where today the idea of Satanism seems crazy to most people, but it's interesting to note that Satanism actually is on the rise quite rapidly, and paganism as well, uh, very much on the rise in Australia. Uh, For example, you can think of the rapper, very, very, very famous rapper, popular with young people, Lil Nas, who recently released The Satan Shoe, uh, and that sold out within one minute, I think, which actually had human blood in the shoe. Uh, And he also created a rap music video uh, of him having all sorts of encounters with the devil of a homosexual kind. Uh, And it was just, I just saw that and I saw the popularity of that guy, how that he's a mainstream pop culture icon. I thought, yeah, this actually is an emerging issue. And here we have a guy who is uh, going after the... uh, the opportunity to teach this religious instruction in school. Uh, it's something I think people really need to pray about. It's not something we can lobby on because it's in the court system, uh, but uh, it is something to pray about that this sort of force of darkness wouldn't be allowed to rise any further. It is an element for prayer uh, where the government, uh, where secularists uh, want us to believe that there is no devil. Well, as Christians uh, who understand a biblical understanding of reality, we know that there is a devil. It is a prayer point for Christian believers. Hey, lockdowns, lots of people in capital cities and whole states have been in lockdown. There's some light at the end of the tunnel for Victorians, but there's really challenging times in Sydney. What are your thoughts about lockdowns, uh, fear, and in fact, lots of protests over the weekend, Martin? 
Yeah, look, there have been protests, haven't there, Neil? And those protests were absolutely enormous. Um, I, look, I, I'm, I'm, I sympathise with the concerns raised by those that are protesting. I'm not a supporter of the protests, though. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Uh, civil disobedience and that sort of thing. I'm just not on that train at this stage, as much as I completely sympathise with, with what's being said. Um, but uh, the, the approach I've had to take to this, I mean, I've been thinking, what is the Christian approach? What is the Christian approach to all of this? And that's an important question to ask because there's so much uncertainty around COVID. Uh, you know, it is going to reshape our world in a very big way. There will be ongoing legacy uh, issues from this. It'll change the way governments work for a very long time. Uh, it'll change our approach to healthcare, vaccination. Uh, it'll change. Uh, it'll change everything. And the forces at work are well beyond you and me. And I often say to people, "Look, I, I know you want me to snap my fingers and and fix something with the government. I can't. You know, this is really beyond us all. This is a global thing, uh, and it's a really big deal. And a lot will change. And I've noticed that there's a sense out there." even among Christian folk, and it's easy, it's easy to get into this situation of, of being uh, fearful, uh, either fearful of, on the one hand, the virus itself, and perhaps fearful of the protests that they might spread the virus and extend the lockdown and all the rest of it. But then there's the other side as well, where there's a lot of people I encounter who are quite fearful of the government, quite fearful of the authoritarianism that they're seeing, quite fearful of where this is all going in terms of vaccines and all that. So you have this full spectrum, and the common theme I see is fear. And the one thing that I'm trying to say to people is, look, I acknowledge this is beyond us, and I acknowledge there's, there's, there's bad things happening and there's good things happening, and I acknowledge it's, it's quite fearful. But I just remember what we all know. It's good to remind ourselves of this at this stage, that the number one command in Scripture is fear not, fear not. And that, happened, that occurs hundreds of times. And nearly every time it's accompanied by a further statement, which is, for I will be with you or for I will go with you. In other words, God's saying, I know you don't know what the future holds. I know this situation is beyond you, but fear not because I'm with you. And that's kind of what Jesus says in the New Testament, where he says, uh, he says, you know, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about tomorrow in Matthew 6. And he says, because your heavenly father knows the things you have need of. He actually says that because God knows you as his child, as, as, as a Christian. He knows who you are. He knows what you need. It's your situation's under control, whether you know it or not. And then he says, and by worrying, which of you can add a single hour to your life? Well, of course, the inference is that nobody can. And I've been reflecting on those scriptures and thinking about those things, and that's really helped me at this stage because I'm finding that I'm struggling to know what is the best thing to say about some of this stuff. I don't know where it's going. I've got a bad sense about it. <laughs> I just do. It's in my gut. But uh, the great thing is, look, we're Christians. And whatever the fears of tomorrow, we don't need to have them because God has got this in control, especially he has it in control in relation to our personal circumstances within it. Wow. Fabulous wisdom, Martin. Hey, let's top off with what I think is a very significant issue that's developing right now and uh, some news about a group of Liberal MPs uh, who are uh, warning the Attorney-General, Michaelia Cash, about the draft religious discrimination bill and uh, suggesting that it's unacceptable to be able to uh, include the so-called Israel Folau law. Uh, it's one we've talked about now for years uh, around the Israel Folau issues that have been developing all this time. But uh, what are your thoughts that there might be a group of Liberal MPs who are working against a religious freedom aspect here? 
you know, this is the sad thing. It shows that the government is completely divided over this issue, uh, and they really ought not to be because it's such an obvious um, liberal policy. Uh, you know, liberal means freedom, uh, which is freedom of religion. And, and at the core of this bill is a protection for what they call statements of belief. In other words, if you state your religious beliefs in your private capacity, if you say something which is grounded in what you sincerely believe in your private capacity at home or on the internet or whatever, you can't be fired from your job. You can't have be put under discipline at your job. So if you're a bank clerk for Westpac, Westpac can't come after you for the things you've said about your faith in your private life. Uh, if you um, work as a truck driver for a logistics company, they can't come after you and so on and so on. Now, this to us is one of the single most important protections in the entire bill because we are legal case after legal case after legal case on this issue where people are being persecuted at work because of things they have innocently said in their private life which are relating to their faith. Uh, and this is the thing that will give the strongest protection to ordinary Australians of faith so that they're not suffering as a result of the things they say and believe quite innocently in their private life. Uh, and it's sad to me that you have Liberal MPs like Dave Sharma, Tim Wilson, Trevor Evans, uh, people uh, who, have, who call themselves modern Liberals, coming out and saying we can't even allow people of faith the freedom to be able to speak in their private lives um, uh, because that in some way is going to be harmful to the LGBT community, and that's the specific reason they've given. And to which I say, well, you know, on the one hand, there's speech, and on the other hand, there's getting fired from your job. Getting fired from your job is the bigger harm. And so I think we need to protect Christians and people of faith from being fired from their jobs, which is what that clause does. We will be running a very big campaign to support the inclusion of this law, to support the protection of ordinary Christians in their, in their daily lives, uh, and people can keep an eye out for that. It'll be a grassroots campaign, an online campaign. And if you're on our supporter list, you'll get a phone call about this. Um, and uh, it, it, it looks to be a very, very strong issue of pressure for us over the next few months so that the uh, this splinter group within the Liberal Party uh, doesn't get this law removed. Well, Senator Michaelia Cash says she's well aware of the divergent views within the Coalition Party room. And uh, she's going to be walking this tightrope, uh, trying to please everybody. It seems to be she's not going to be able to do that. So uh, this is where, no doubt, uh, supporting the campaigns that uh, you're planning and that others will be planning as well, uh, but also for the Christian believer who's concerned about your freedom to be able to share your faith publicly, this is a point of prayer too, isn't it, Martin? Yeah, look, it is. Uh, and I get, when I travel around the country for the truth of it live, and I get people come up to me afterwards to speak, and I have spoken to thousands of people in recent months, um, one of the biggest concerns they have is their workplace. Uh, they have concerns about diversity training in their workplace, the things they have to wear and celebrate in their workplace, uh, the way they're trained to speak in their workplace. They're concerned about the things they say in their private life, if they're preaching at church or if they're posting on their Facebook and what that means for the future in their workplace. They are. This is a common, widespread, mainstream concern among people of faith. And again, I say, if the Liberal Party of all people, a party that says it stands for freedom, cannot alleviate that concern for people of faith, well, they've just failed. And it's not a bill we would support if that clause isn't in there, and they know that. So we'll be pushing very hard on this. 
I imagine, too, that even if you posted things years ago, uh, that sort of thing can come back to haunt you in a new law-type atmosphere as well. So it's not just a matter of a starting point with new religious freedom legislation that might exclude that Israel for Lao clause, but uh, if it is excluded, then uh, everything you've ever said may well come back to haunt you. Yeah, well, that's how cancel culture works. And people have seen so many examples of this. It's interesting. There was even an official at the Olympic Games, and I forget who it was, but they were relieved of their post just last week because of a tweet they made in 1999. Uh, so, Or it mustn't have been a tweet. I don't think Twitter was even around in 1999, but it was an online comment they made in 1999. Uh, now, we're going back a long way there. That's 22 years. Uh, and so they can go all the way back, and it doesn't matter who you are today, doesn't matter what you've done today, but everything you've ever said suddenly comes under the microscope. We also know of a doctor who was relieved of his medical license because of comments he made on the internet up to 14 years ago. Uh, and this is how cancel culture works. It's a relentless and it's an unforgiving beast. And if we don't have a legal protection for people who are simply saying things which are absolutely mainstream within the Christian faith, uh, you know, the bill that's coming down the line isn't going to do a whole lot to help ordinary Australians, I'm afraid. <laughs> and uh, that's not good enough. Uh, it's got to be, it's got to have that protection. We'll be monitoring it closely and it's likely to somehow or other have uh, some expression before the end of this year. So we'll be monitoring it along closely and for listeners uh, to follow along with those updates that you present on the ACL website, that'll be a useful thing too. Before I let you go and taking a few extra minutes here today, Martin, but the, the truth of it live, you've got a whole bunch of new dates set. Some Some of those could be a little uncertain because of COVID issues, but how are things looking for your next dates? Neil, things are looking pretty good so far. We are still on track, believe it or not, to run Western Australian events from August the 14th, that's Saturday in Perth. Then we go Albany, Bunbury, Geraldton, and then we'll be shooting across to Tasmania for Launceston and Hobart and then back to Adelaide. Uh, and that'll take us up to the middle of September. So those events are all open for registration. You can go to the ACL website. There's a big tile in the middle of the website where you can register. Uh, A number of them are sold out. Some are not. Uh, Perth is uh, over 4,000 people registered so far with three weeks to go. So these are all looking very, very exciting indeed and uh, appreciate prayers that they will come off despite COVID madness. And I keep saying to people, actually, everything is so far on track. So praise God for that. And and taxpayer-funded venues are all open possibilities. And so uh, exciting stuff for all of those dates coming up. Uh, WA, you say Perth, August the 14th. Of course, Albany, Bunbury, Geraldton, and of course, those dates for Tasmania. Check the website, acl.org.au. That's acl.org.au. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.